In recent decades, many churches have recovered an emphasis on biblical preaching, on healthy church membership, and on the centrality of the gospel. Ministry to the poor and a focus on adoption have become more and more common, and these are wonderful developments. And yet, one area still remains largely in the shadows and too often neglected, the care of widows. In our interview today, I'm talking with Brian Croft, a former pastor and the founder of Practical Shepherding, a ministry focused on equipping pastors and church leaders in the essential yet often overlooked practical matters of ministry. Brian is also the co-author, along with Austin Walker, of Caring for Widows, Ministering God's Grace from Crossway. Let's get started. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining us today on the Crossway Podcast. Hey, I'm glad to be with you. Thanks for having me. So you're the founder and director of a ministry called Practical Shepherding, uh, which is focused on training and equipping pastors in relation to uh, a lot of different practical areas of ministry. I wonder if you could just speak to that a little bit, because I think that connects into what we're going to talk about today. Uh, when did you found Practical Shepherding, and what, what's your vision uh, for what you're trying to do there? So I've been a pastor for the last 25 years, and about 12 years ago, just out of my own pastoral ministry in the local church, uh, training guys for ministry. You know, so realizing you know, I'm in Louisville, Kentucky, so there I know there are a lot of them who are at the seminary getting great theological training, but seminaries don't train pastors for ministry as far as practical ministry, and that's just kind of a reality. And so I take it upon myself that it's my responsibility as a pastor of a local church to train guys to know how to do ministry. So I just started doing that. I was taking them to the hospitals and taking them to the widows' homes and taking them to the funerals and teaching them how to do it and dragging them with me up to all these places. And I just thought I was doing what every pastor is supposed to be doing, which, by the way, I, I think every pastor should be doing that, but many are not. And out of that, I uh, just realized that some of them uh, asked me to write some stuff down for them after a hospital visitation. And so I just wrote some practical notes down for them. And... It eventually turned into this little book on hospital visitation called Visit the Sick. And uh, it, <clears throat> it blew up on the Internet about 10 years ago when book, book publishing was radically changing uh, with, the, with the Internet, as you, you guys at Crossway well know. And, and from that, it exposed this gaping hole of practical resources. So out of Practical Shepherding came out of that. We started a blog and called it Practical Shepherding and just kind of little interactions online. Uh, to to talk about practical ministry and let pastors jump in and, and speak into the comments. And it's really how it started. And it just kept growing to the point to where we have about 25 resources now in our ministry. It's just grown uh, to m multiple staff and those things just hit a point where I had to make a decision on whether uh, if I wanted to let it keep growing, I needed to give all my time to it. So last year, at the end of uh, last year, after 17 years of being the pastor of Auburndale Baptist Church, I moved full to a full-time role uh, with Practical Shepherding. So over the course of the last 12 years, it's just continued to grow because the needs are great. We we shifted at some point, probably seven or eight years, and not just training guys, not just training pastors for practical ministry, but we started caring for pastors because who pastors the pastors? And so we teach them about a hospital visit or how to do a funeral or something, and then they'd say, by the way, you know, I, I'm a, I have this these these two people in the church that are trying to fire me. Or, you know, my wife's about to leave me. Like, will you talk to me? So uh, we started to realize there was this whole other lane to care for pastors. And so that's really that 
the two parallel tracks really of what our ministry is at Practical Shepherding now. Yeah. And when it comes to some of those tricky issues that pastors face, whether they are you know, directed at them themselves, but also even just shepherding people who are in, you know, these difficult seasons of life um, that that require a practical know-how or an experience. Um, yeah, do you feel like there's been um, when when you think about the seminary education, uh, are there certain trends that you've seen in terms of the the training that they're getting when they come, you know, into actual pastoral ministry? Are, are guys expressing a sense of like, whoa, I didn't know it was going to be like this, or I feel like I, I'm missing this thing. Uh, has that has that been the case? And if so, have those kind of the things they've shared on that front changed over the years? Most seminary presidents, and I think this includes Dr. Moeller, which I'm grateful for, tells students, look, we're, we're theologically training you. You need to be in a local church, involved in ministry, learning from a pastor. So he, he recognizes that's the full piece of training that every pastor needs. But the reality is that a lot of students come to seminary or, or Bible college, or so, and, and they just are assuming they're going to get everything that they need. And so a lot of times what happens is they don't realize they're ill-equipped until they get into pastoral ministry and they don't know how to do these things. And of course, I, I almost don't blame the seminaries as much as their local churches on, on that, because I do think it's the pastor's responsibilities to be training guys for for the ministry and to know how to do these kinds of, of things. Seminaries are, are beginning to get come around a bit more with this to try to just engage with, you know, in pastoral ministry classes and things like that. But but it's still not a predominant aspect to seminary education. So it's got to come from the pastors. It's got to be learned in the local church, which is the best place to, to do it. So what we find is a lot of guys either get into pastoral ministry and learn the hard way, which was what I had to do, which is why this became such a passion of mine. Or they realize they're ill-equipped and they start to ask for help. And that's when they come to pe- people like us or ministries like ours. The third option, Matt, which is really not good, is that guys get in and see they're ill-equipped. So they farm out these tasks to somebody else. They just, they're afraid of it. So they, they ask deacons to go visit widows or to go to the hospitals and instead of them as pastors. And and part of that problem also is this, this ideological understanding of pastoral ministry is just about preaching. And preaching is a big part of it, but it's certainly not the only part. And so I think those are the three things that make a lot of young guys especially feel ill-equipped. They just almost don't know what they don't know. And then they get into it and, and they don't know what what to do or how to do it. And so that a lot of times that's when they'll reach out to us. And of course, we're, we're glad to, to help, but... That's a bad. That's a bad time to learn it. It's better to get a handle on it certainly before you go into it, at least theoretically. Well, yeah, I wanted to get into that. That feeling that I think maybe all of us can resonate with a little bit. We can kind of put ourselves in the shoes of that young pastor who feels intimidated and maybe uncomfortable at the idea of having to. Let's focus in a little bit on maybe the elderly people who are widows or they're in a hospital context or a nursing home and they're, they're in pain or um, they're on hospice or um, maybe their emotional state is not great because of the things that they're kind of facing. And it feels, it feels hard. I wonder, as you think back to your early days, you mentioned that this is something that you had to learn the hard way. Can you resonate with those feelings of kind of not sure that you feel like you want to or, or are equipped to kind of engage in that in that area? Yeah, so I, one of the advantages I had was, was I always had a love for people. 
So I'm an extrovert. I'm a people person. That actually serves you really well as a pastor. But what I didn't know is I didn't know how to how to care for people uh, as well as I, I needed to know how. But there is an intuitiveness to the way God gifts a pastor. I think there's certain gifts that, that you can't learn, that God just has to give you to be called into the ministry and to be called to be a pastor in the way the New Testament describes it. <clears throat> One of those is that you have to, you know, I think you have to have a love for people <clears throat> to be in the ministry and to not love people. Uh, excuse me, <clears throat> is, uh, is is a disaster a lot of times. So I think that was a help to me, is I just had a natural intuition and love for people. That helped the learning curve a lot. But at the same time, you have to, there's, a, there's skills to learn how to, to, what to do and not do that's helpful if you go into a hospital and care for somebody. There, there's skills to, you need to learn to know what's helpful when you go to an elderly widow's home to sit down and talk, what is what is what ministers do or what helps her. So there's certainly an intuitive gifting that needs to be there, but there's also a lot that can be learned. And and so people who don't even have those intuitive gifts, I think can be pretty comp, can be competent in visiting and caring for people, especially elderly, uh, if they're just taught how to do that. But you got you know there's a there's a uh, an aspect to caring for the elder. There's a lot of people, young guys especially. You know, they, they weren't around a grandmother or they weren't around old people in the church or something. And it's really hard to be around old people. They just don't know how to relate to them. So it's one of the things I look for in young guys. Like you just watch how they relate. That's why I think this is getting off on a tangent, but that's why a multi-generational church, I think, is the biblical model from Titus 2. And one of the practical aspects to that is old people need to learn how to relate to young people. And young people need to learn how to relate to old people. I think that's, that God is glorified in that design. And so I'd say the same thing for, for guys I'm looking to who can be pastors. Do they Are they able to relate to people who are not their age? And I think that's a big piece to it. So let's zero in on the, the issue of widows and caring for widows. Um, I think we all have a general sense, uh, a vague notion that the Bible talks about widows and, and places some kind of special emphasis on widows. Uh, but that's probably the extent of it for many of us. So I wonder if you could just, are, are there a couple passages that come to mind that really stand out as uh, you know, a good summary of what the Bible actually teaches us about uh, caring for widows. Yeah, good question. Well, I think I think there's just a general theme in the Old New Testament towards uh, caring for the widow and the orphan. You know, back in certainly the first century in the early church, but also before that, when you look at the Old Testament, you know, a, a widow when her husband died, she, she had very few ways to be able to take care of herself. It's not they didn't have social security and they didn't have you know, they just didn't have jobs for, for women to be able to go and make a lot of money. So when you see the passages in Scripture that, that there's a particular calling and, and imperatives towards caring for widows and orphans, there's a there's a helplessness that existed there. And that shows to be true in the New Testament. You have like Paul writing to Timothy in First Timothy, and you have a whole chapter 5. It's one of the few categories of people in the New Testament that Paul writes to Timothy in the pastorals to say, make sure you care for these people. And and in that chapter, it's, this is who a widow is. This is who a widow is not. This is how you care for them. This is how you you reach out to them. And and so there, there are clear imperatives towards caring for widows in the New Testament. And I think just a gen, that general feel of God's heart for the poor and the orphan and the widow, the people who who potentially cannot take care of themselves, that the, that the church, that God's people are, are equipped and called to be able to, to go and care for them. And so... I think we just, what I think is ironic is the the category of widow and the need for the church to care for them 
is is all over the New Testament in, in different ways, and specifically in in First Timothy. But James mentions it as well. I mean, so there's there's passages that address it, and yet I think it's one of the most neglected groups in all the local church in the modern day. Mm. Well, I, I wonder if you could maybe speak to why you think that might be. You mentioned, you know, in our day and age, there's the advent of Social Security and a lot of social safety net programs, uh, and even just culturally. Um, women's roles in society, the options available to women today are, are very different than they were in the biblical time. And so I, I think, I, I wonder if some people, I've heard this expressed, the idea that, you know, the emphasis of the New Testament, while not um, not irrelevant for us today, it's sort of reflecting a different era. And so maybe there's other people who would kind of be uh, more vulnerable in our society than widows today. Um, do you do you resonate with that? Is there truth in that, or does that sort of miss a more foundational uh, emphasis that Scripture is giving to this? It's an excellent question. I, I would a couple things come to mind when you ask that, and one is I think the the principles of the New Testament that's addressed towards widows, in a bit needs to be broadened in some ways. So, for example, uh, we had a <clears throat> we had a young woman who had a seven eight year old and her husband. Uh, abandoned the faith and abandoned her. He was the only one that was working in the home. She was stuck trying to figure out how to create a career, how to survive. Uh, all of a sudden, the church had to step in and really do a lot of work around that. As elders, we actually considered her in the category of a widow. She was abandoned by her husband and faced a lot of the lots that widows in the first century faced. You know, that abandonment and having no way of caring for yourself and taking care of yourself self and, and providing and those kinds of things. So I think that's there's categories like that that I think the spirit of the care and need of widows that's mentioned in the New Testament applies there. The second one I would say is widowers, you know, men who have lost their spouses. The reason that there's so much of an emphasis on widows, I'm convinced, is mainly because of that, just the providing for the physical needs. And when you when you see uh, when you see it in the Psalms and the Old Testament, you see it Paul writing to Timothy as well as James writing about it. It's it's talking about material provision in so many ways. But there's tons of needs that widows have who lost their spouse, whether old or young. And that certainly applies to widowers. In fact, as a pastor, when I look back on all the widows and widowers that I had the privilege to care for, the widows almost seem a bit more resilient to be able to move forward in life without their husbands. I, I watched I watched several husbands just kind of die slowly of a broken heart. They just never recovered when they're the, they had, you know, they just, they had, they had a deep love for their wife. Their wife took care of them in so many ways and they just never were the same. And I, I watched many men die of a broken heart. So the church has to step up and really care for those emotional and spiritual needs of that man uh, in, in some ways more so than some of the women who were, were pretty resilient through all of that. So I think those are two categories of broadening even that I, that I think are, are important for modern local churches to think about. Mm. Yeah, I, I th- one verse that you guys mention in the book is Psalm 68.5, uh, where God is called a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows. And I, I think those kinds of verses... Many of us are familiar with them. We've read them before, but as you kind of take a step back and think about that, how God is, in a very, in a very real sense, sort of defining Himself along these lines and these categories. Um, how, how do you think about that? What does that tell us about God's heart 
uh, for widows and for orphans and, and for people who are vulnerable, vulnerable like this. Uh, is there something kind of significant there that we should stop and pay attention to? I certainly think there is. And I think it, it, it just reveals the heart of God towards the, the, the weak and the vulnerable. We need to we need to apply that, I think, across the board, that that reveals the depths of God's love and his mercy for not just sinners, but but people like that who who need help and care in, in special, unique ways. And one of the things I find fascinating is that you, you see that triad all throughout Scripture of the poor, the orphan, and the widow. And in the last 10 years, I've been really encouraged to see, you know, think about this eruption on, Caring for the poor, mercy ministry things have just exploded everywhere in a great way. You have <clears throat> you have care for orphan care, you know, adoption, and how that has how that has just sprung up in wonderful ways for the last decade. <clears throat> Excuse me, where where is the care of the widow? That it's almost that tri- the out of the triad that still has almost yet to see a movement arise in the church to care for for widows in that way. So. I do think it's a neglected area. I think it's it touches the very heart of God for the obvious reasons. And yeah, I think as we try to seek to know God and know who he is and know what he loves, that we, we need to assume those same kind of burdens. I mean, Jesus' life, and, and when you read the Gospels, he modeled the exact same thing and revealed the same heart of God towards these kinds of people. Do you have a theory as to why the care of widows has been you know, in your words, a bit neglected, even as we've seen progress uh, on these other areas? I do have a theory. I, I think it's uh, a couple things come to mind. One is the there is, when you're talking about orphan care, you're talking about even caring for the poor. It can become a very exciting and vibrant ministry that is shows a tangible fruit that a church can hold up and say, look, 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 look what we've done. And I think that's good in a lot of ways. But what's unique about widow care is, is it's not the same glamorous type work. It's I, when I'm training pastors, I look, your daily, the daily grind of being a pastor is that you go and you sit alone with a widow for an hour and love and care for in her home, maybe drink bad coffee and just love her. And then you leave that house. And the only people who knew you were there is that widow and God. That's the daily grind of the ministry. It's not glamorous. It's not flashy. And I think we're less, we're, we're less drawn, obviously, to that kind of work. So I think that's part of it. The second thing I would say is that widows, think kind of, I mean, you don't want to just think elderly widow category, but oftentimes that, that's the case, and I'll, I'll throw that out there. That group in the church do not fight for the pastor's time the way everybody else does. So you take a pastor who's feeling pulled in all kinds of different directions, that woman is sitting back in the shadows alone in her house. And she's as a matter of fact, she doesn't want to bother the pastor. So what I'm what I'm having to do in training pastors is say, you you have to take the initiative and make it a priority because she will not bother you. She will not fight for your time. And Matt, I think that's one of the main reasons. If you have a pastor who who gets distracted by noise and busyness and everybody who's fighting for their time, isn't everybody else in the church gonna function that way? And all of a sudden you have these widows who just really sit at home and the big chief battle of widows is loneliness. Hmm. Yeah, wow. Um, so in your book, you share the story of a woman named Tilly Roberts. Uh, she was a widow in your church who you visited regularly for uh, for years. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about her and her story. 
Well, Tilly was just an amazing lady. She was a gift to be a past, to be her pastor. She lived to be 106 years old. She was three months shy of her 107th birthday. Uh, she never had any children. She joked that that was the secret to longevity. And since I have four children, I, I, I that resonates with me. But uh, she was she was just she, she was witty. She was funny. This this lady, she had an incredible mind, even all the way up to the point she died. So she would run into my wife at the grocery store. When my kids were little. And she would know, she would look at each of my children and know their names and knew their birthdays. And, and I, just, I just joked about that. I remember I'd go to the pharmacy, you know, when you go get medicine for one of the kids and they ask what's the birth date of your child. I mean, I actually just sit and think about it. I used to joke I would call Tilly to find out to make sure that I confirm my kids' birthdays when I'd go get medicine at the pharmacy. So she was just one of those ladies, super supportive, uh, loved, loved the church, uh, was, had her own opinions, but, you know, just just picked her battles well. And everybody just, she was just beloved and, and they loved her. She was widowed at in her 60s. So she practically lived a whole nother, and never remarried. So she practically lived a whole nother life uh, as a widow. And uh, so I just learned a ton from her, both in just how long she lived, but also to, to be married, you know, for 40 years, be widowed, and then to try to figure out how to live your life and, and to not aspire to remarry and all those things. Uh, she was just she was just an amazing lady. She was one of uh, five or six ladies in their 80s and 90s that used to go out to lunch all the time. Well, they all couldn't drive at some point in their 90s. And so I used to, at times, I would get my wife, the van for my wife for the day. I'd go around, pick all these ladies up, and I'd, and I'd take them somewhere to get lunch. And, and then I'd drive them all home and drop them off. And, you know, it took, you know, that took a big chunk of my day. But, man, is they've all gone home to be with the Lord. And, and just as I reflect back on those times, they're such sweet memories and to not just spend time with Tilly, but then to be able to be with her and her friends and interact with it was, I mean, just a, a really special privilege as a pastor. I wonder if you could reflect on that a little bit more. You know, I think oftentimes, even in this conversation, the emphasis is on how can can we, how can pastors and other other lay people minister to and care for, for widows and the elderly? Um, but as you kind of mentioned there, you feel like you learned a lot from her and from her friends by watching their faith. I wonder if you could just draw out what are some of those lessons that you feel like you learned in those hours that you spent, you know, eating lunch together at Cracker Barrel and driving to and fro at different places. Well, I think one of the things that's neglected in local churches by younger folks is they don't see the value of the older because the younger might be more theologically astute than the older. And so, you know, I, I dealt with this in spades in Louisville, Kentucky, you can imagine. You know, a 30-year-old seminary student who knows Greek and Hebrew and, and knows his Bible well, and he looks at an 80-year-old widow and like, the world, what in the world am I going to learn from her? You know, and, and they, they look too narrow-minded at, well, you know, they're, gonna, they're not probably going to change your view on the atonement or eschatology or whatever. You have to look at the practicality of the value and benefit of people who have lived a long life, who have walked with Jesus for 50, 60, 70 years. They maybe have and, and have persevered in their faith. And you live that long. You, you've suffered. Everybody has in a fallen world. You live that long. So to just sit and hear these women talk about their, you know, children, their grandchildren, their their great grandchildren, their, you know, what it was like to be married to their husbands and what it was like to face, you know, the, the loss of the their husbands and all those kinds of things. Uh, parenting. Uh, just think of life stuff. You know, a lot of some of these ladies worked jobs uh, in a time where you know, you're talking 50 years ago where 
where women were not working outside the home a lot. And some of these ladies really pushed against that and went, was were working full time and as well as taking care of kids. So there were so much life things to learn from somebody who's older than you. And that's really the, the value around that. And But there's something also really beautiful about hearing a simplistic but long persevering faith in someone who has followed Jesus that long and has not fallen away and has not become disenchanted or bitter with uh, with following Jesus. There's something really sweet to hear an older saint uh, talk about walking with Jesus. There's a maturity, there's a wisdom that comes with that, even if they maybe are not theologically astute. Uh, there is, you know, there's, there's something to be said about how long they've walked with Jesus, and there's tons to learn around that, even for pastors, for sure. Hmm. What would you say to the person listening right now who maybe feels a little bit of conviction? They feel a little bit like, you know, there are older people in my church or uh, in my community that I know of that maybe I should kind of check in with and, and try to spend some time with. Uh, but, but as we kind of mentioned before, maybe the thought of that, they've never done it before, they haven't spent a lot of time along, around older people, it feels a little intimidating, it feels uncomfortable. Maybe these people are in a nursing uh, home or in a hospital somewhere, and, and all those environments can often be so kind of unsettling uh, if you don't have a lot of experience there. What, what encouragement would you offer to a person who's kind of thinking about that right now? Matt, if you'll allow me, I'll answer it in two ways. I first want to answer it to, to pastors even. The, the pastors battle that. They they got the sermon in front of them. They got demanding meetings and things. And they know they, they need to go see them as well, but they're having trouble finding that. Uh, I found a tremendous amount of help in having a list of all my members on, on a list and divided it up into 28 days. And I went through and prayed for each two, three, four families every those days. And in a month's time, I was able to pray at least for every member. And then that became a checklist for me to, get, to, to find out when was the last time I talked to them? When was the last time I interacted with them? And that actually became a, a checklist for me. When was the last time I went and saw this widow? Or when was the last time I talked with her? Especially those who are either homebound or those who are in nursing homes and things like that. So as a pastor, I would encourage you to, you, you will not just naturally go, oh, I need to go see Tilly or whatever it is. It, you got to have a structure that, that reminds you that you haven't been there in two months and you need to make it a priority to get there. I want to say that first, just because I think pastors battle the same thing you asked for. The other reason I want to say that is to your question, church members who maybe want to engage in this ministry, uh, first start with your pastor. Hopefully he knows these widows. And if you go and say, look, I, I want to actually care for Tilly or this lady. I, I'm in t- I just don't know how to do it or what to do. And any pastor worth his salt should look at them and go, I tell you what, let's go next week. I'll take you with me. Uh, if your pastor is not doing that, uh, feel free to chastise him or send him to me. And then you need to uh, find, try to find somebody else maybe who knows that lady or, or, or that man and, and go through somebody who knows them. And I used to do this with my interns. I would, I would drag them with me to, to, to visit a widow. And then next month I would send him without me. So it's just a, that's the best way to one get that person comfortable with that, but also that, but also that widow to be comfortable with some stranger showing up at their house and 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 uh, wanting to visit them. That's so helpful. That's really good. Uh, one one last question. Um, you mentioned earlier that one of the biggest things that widows can struggle with is loneliness and, and maybe feelings of feeling forgotten and just kind of there's no one who knows them. Uh, and 
And one of the things, the practical suggestions that you mentioned in your book is just the simple idea of sending notes in the mail, sending cards uh, as a way to keep up with them, especially when it's you know sometimes hard to, to find the time that might work for both parties to, to be together. And there might be situations in place. I think back to this pandemic that we've all been living through, where I think it's probably been harder to access people who are maybe in a nursing home than it would have been in the past. Um, any any big tips or suggestions for how to write a really good, encouraging note? Yeah, that, that's a great question. This, this is actually a good time to, to just acknowledge my co-author, Austin Walker. Uh, Austin is a pastor, has been a pastor in uh, just south of London in Britain, in England, uh, for, for 40 plus years, planted a church in a dark town called Crawley, England. And he pastored faithfully there, the same church for 45 years. He just recently retired. Uh, Austin is the one that that just taught me a lot about these kinds of things and and how to how to write thought say thoughtful and helpful things and as, as and and to write them as well. A couple of things I would say is when you write a note, you know, I think it's key whether you're talking to a widow, or whether you're going to the hospital to visit somebody there, is really stay away from doing two things: minimizing what's going on or trying to fix whatever's going on. And a lot of times when people do that. There's a lack of self-awareness. That's actually more about that person than it is about wanting to care for the other person. So presence is a big deal. Just go and just sit with somebody. Don't worry about having to have something wise or pithy to say to them. Just your presence is big. Uh, So a note uh, represents that presence in a sense by just sending it, just showing a thoughtfulness about it. Feel free to share scripture passages that are helpful uh, that certainly give hope in that. But I think what's the mo- even the most helpful thing for widows if you're writing a note is, is just to say to them, hey, I just wanted you to know I was, I was thinking of you and I'm, I'm praying for you. This is, this is how I, I prayed for you. And if, if, you know, Matt, if loneliness is the chief struggle for widows, then allow a note to communicate you're not forgotten. We're thinking of you. Uh, I used to pray publicly in our church services for widows. And then that next week I would write them a card and say, we prayed for you in church with everybody. You are not forgotten. You are loved. And so I think just doing things to reiterate to them that they're that they're just not forgotten is is one of the that's one of the best ways to write in notes versus, you know, hey, I'm sure things will get better. People mean well in saying that and writing that. That's not helpful generally. By the way, just in general, whether you're at a funeral home or a hospital or a nursing home, to look at somebody and say, I'm sure things will get better when you don't know that. And that usually is a response of, of your own uncomfortability in the moment, not necessarily what you think is going to be helpful to them. So just listen and be silent if you have to, but just remind them they're not forgotten. That's the one thing you certainly can say that's true. Well, Brian, thank you so much for uh, helping all of us, I think, uh, think a little bit more biblically, a little bit more lovingly about uh, widows in our, in our midst. And uh, yeah, we appreciate you taking the time. Matt, I'm happy to. Thanks for, for letting me on. That was Brian Croft on how to care for widows. For more, be sure to check out the book he co-authored with Austin Walker called Caring for Widows, Ministering God's Grace. Pick up your copy of the book for 30% off directly from Crossway by visiting crossway.org plus. That's crossway.org plus. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. 
If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving us a review. That really helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.